This is Masonic Muscle episode 15. And this is another exercise in speculation and critical thinking, effectively strengthening your body, mind, and soul, covering the so-called three degrees of masonry, the three great lights of masonry, the three principal officers of the lodge, each one representing possibly body, mind, and soul. Uh, there's all kinds of symbolism there that we can get into that many people have gotten into. But today, we're going to be revisiting something I introduced in the first couple of episodes, a book that I found as I was getting ready to begin to record. And the book is called The Rule of St. Benedict and Masonic Ritual, The Origin of Masonic Usages, Customs, and Ritual by Alberto Moreno Moreno. And what it's covering, it's, it's really interesting, is the period of about, I believe, maybe 1100, all the way up to the Regis Manuscript and a little bit beyond until the Catholic Church was pretty much, uh, you know, ousted from England because the Anglican Church was created. And there's some, uh, there's some uh, pieces in there that make sense as far as where these guilds got their uh, customs, their ritual. And the author goes out of his way to say that they didn't, that the, uh, that the Cistercian monks, because it's the, the, these monks used the Benedictine rule. And the Benedictine rule is used in, in a lot of monastic orders in Catholicism, written by St. Benedict, hence, you know, the, the Benedictine rule. And the Cistercian monks, which was a branch of the Benedictine, it was a like reformed Benedictine order that focused on works and prayer. Uh, that was the order, the Cistercian monks, that was the monastic order that was prominent in England and in Scotland during that time, along with the Terranensians. And so... There weren't enough monks, skilled monks, uh, Cistercian monks within the order to actually help to build uh, the, you know, the edifices that these monks needed. So what they began to do was within the population, the monks began to initiate the lay person into the monastic order, making them brothers of the order especially if you were a stonemason or, you know, a craftsman, some type of craftsman. And now you were effectively a monk. So now you can work and the monks didn't have to hire outside from without the order. And so over time, the rituals that these lay people were exposed to, to become a brother of the Cistercian order was the ritual that the stonemason guilds began to draw from because it was the only ritual that they were that they were seen they would go to mass they would be around these cistercian brothers and when they finally made the leap from layperson to an actual member of the order a brother and they were exposed to the ritual to become a brother all those elements, several of those elements are now being talked about in this book. 
the rule of St. Benedict and Masonic ritual, the origin of Masonic usages, customs, and ritual. You know, they were, that there was a point where you were introduced by somebody, a point where you were given, uh, you were, uh, you had your obligation, you had, you took your oath or obligation, and then a, a point where you gave up your clothes, and then you were given your new, you know, the habit of the order, which was a white robe. And then uh, uh, the brethren at some point came in to help in that initiation. And then you were, once it was all said and done, you were seated in a chair provided for you. The book is easy to read. The things that it's presenting is very easy to understand and easy to see some of the parallels. And I believe that some of this research has been going on in France and in Spain for a while, not so much over here in the U.S., but it's been going on over there. And I think I believe that this book is a translation from either the French, I believe it's the French, into English. It was a book well worth reading. I liked it. I share it with my friends. And so here I am sharing it with you. And we have to continue to speculate. If, if we are no longer operative Masons and we are speculative, we have to continue to speculate. speculate. And the question arises eventually, well, if you're going to speculate, you know, do we get all crazy and begin to speculate with everything and, and, and even take it out into, out into space where Freemasonry could have possibly had its origins from the moon, Mars, or something like that. I mean, is that being responsible? Uh, the speculation is there, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, when I bring it back to 1390, the Regis Manuscript, and this book that I've been mentioning, that's more of a, you know, more of a practical approach. And it's not discarding any of the other ones. Yeah, we should speculate, and we should wonder, and we should open our minds and we should use a definite uh, protocol and procedure, but not, not to the extent where we're beginning to choke the creativity of what's out there. So that's where the trivium comes in, grammar, logic, and rhetoric, where we apply this. We apply grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And the logic, the logical parts begin to help us connect the dots. And just like I mentioned in one of my previous episodes, what a, uh, Dr. Anthony Sutton wrote in one of his books called The, the uh, Secret Establishment uh, of America, which is uh, a book, the very first book, I believe, written about the skull and bones. And he wrote how certain people within the hierarchy here in the United States and probably in England and then elsewhere, because a lot of countries began to follow our lead way back in 1920s and 30s when we began to take these steps. And that is academia and uh, people in, in positions, they want to push a certain line. And if your findings and if your research and point of view 
is going against the grain of what they want to promote, then you more than likely will not have a successful career. Could this apply to Freemasonry as well? I believe so. There are articles that I have read over the years where they talk about, uh, not they, our certain Masonic uh, researchers began to run into the uh, walls of censorship and they began to speculate on what is happening here. If, if my findings are saying this, but I'm being stonewalled over here by either the United Grand Lodge of England or the, or the, uh, the famous uh, Ars Coronati Research Lodge of England, where they're saying no, you know, that's not accurate or no, you know, stop talking about that. That's, that's you know, that's not uh, academic enough or what have you. They ran into the same wall that Dr. Anthony Sutton and now many others have run into, not just in the Masonic field, because you, if you search on the internet, you're going to find doctors, lawyers, historians who have run into this wall as well. And probably the most famous one that we can think of or that I can think of was when Graham Hancock, uh, Anthony West, Robert Schock, and there's all oh, Robert Bavall, they all got stonewalled because they believed that they had concrete evidence that the Sphinx, that the weather erosion of the Sphinx was caused by massive rainfall and that the rainfall, the last time there was that kind of rainfall in Egypt was like 10 or 12,000 years ago. And when Egyptology heard about this, they went berserk, especially uh, Dr. Zawi Awas and the uh, Egyptological Society and everything. They just, I mean, they just came out in full force and, you know, show us the proof, show us the proof. And the proof was where, was with Dr. Robert Schock, who was a, a geologist who had nothing to gain, nothing, or, you know, no money to gain, nothing. He just went out there on request from, I think, uh, Anthony West, went to go to Egypt, take a look at the Sphinx, saw as immediately, I believe he said that a, as soon as he saw the weather erosion, he, it was water, you know, uh, uh, you know, wa waterfall. Th this type of erosion is only caused by a massive waterfall. So he was at, at a loss, like what? I, I wasn't expecting this. I was expecting maybe some, you know, erosion from sand and stuff like that, but not waterfall. So we get the point being that that as you begin to progress in whatever line of research that you're conducting, that you're going to run into censorship, especially if it's not towing the line of a whatever whatever uh, powers that be are pushing. It's the most convenient or whatever, and the victors. The victors are the ones who write history. We're taught that over and over. And when we hear it, we, we kind of believe, I mean, we, we understand intuitively that that's true, but somehow we just push it aside and we revert back to old habits. So our, our thinking habits, we weren't really taught the correct way to think, which is grammar, logic, and rhetoric. And when you apply it now to this book that I mentioned right now, 
the rule of St. Benedict and Masonic ritual, where uh, the possible origins of Masonic usages, customs, and ritual. And you hear that possibly these usages and customs and Masonic rituals possibly were inspired and influenced in a great part by the Cistercian monks, which is a Catholic organization. If people continue to research this and begin to find more and more evidence, wouldn't that cause some kind of a light to go on as to why Catholicism is so opposed to Freemasonry the way it is now? Was there some kind of turn that happened that now all of a sudden Catholicism no longer recognizes Freemasonry? Because in the book, within the book, they do mention uh, Calvinism and Anglicanism. And really, when Calvinism began to dominate over there in, in the British Isles, and, and then they got a hold of the Masonic ritual, they began to make little adjustments that began to change the overall meaning of what was going on in that ritual, because there was only one degree. And, suppose, and according to this book, it was on October 8th. That was the only time that they would, that they would, uh, and the only time of the year that they, that these monks would use or these masons would use to bring in and give the degree to the entered apprentice mason to be received now and be recognized as a fellow of the craft. So that is my little exercise today in speculation and critical thinking. These little tidbits and also the interviews that, that are coming, they're all meant to strengthen your body, mind, and soul, effectively strengthening your Masonic muscle. Thank you. Mm -hmm.